The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free, just like we did for these current Web.com customers. We've used and, and looked at other website designers, but there's nobody better than Web.com. Web.com can build your website in as little as seven days free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines like Google, Yahoo, and Bing. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. If you're in business today and you don't have a web presence, you won't be taken seriously. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-490-1099 or go to web.com slash radio. That's 800-490-1099. No upfront charge for site build, after which ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when canceled. Domain included during active service, after which fees apply. Now, spreading freedom across the nation, this is... The Buck Sexton Show. Team Buck, welcome back to the Freedom Hut. We are joined by our friend Rebecca Heinrichs. She is a fellow at the Hudson Institute, expert on foreign policy and national defense matters. Rebecca, great to have you. Thanks so much, Buck. Happy to be here. Uh, Hudson.org. The piece is up now. If you want to check it out, we'll post it on Facebook. President-elect Trump is poised to reset upending Obama's apology tour. Rebecca, how is President Trump poised to reset? Well, um, you know, I wrote this piece uh, uh, right before he announced um, his pick for Secretary of Defense, uh, General Mad Dog Mattis, which I think is a perfect um, person to to lead the Pentagon. And I think that that he will um, absolutely carry out some of the things that I mentioned in my piece, Um, some of which were, number one, briefly, um, I think, you know, President uh, President Trump is going to return to an unapologetic defense of American superiority, the sort of equivocating going back and forth of whether or not the United States is actually morally superior to other nations, and then, of course, whether or not we should have a military that, that's better and stronger in every single military domain. And um, that's just not going to be a question. He's going to be unapologetic about that. And um, so I think that means we're going to rebuild our military. Um and number two, he's going to engage with allies. He's going to do that. I recommend that he do that first before he engages with adversaries. He has already begun to do that with his phone call with the Taiwanese, which I thought was excellent and forward-leaning. Um, and then number three, again, we're going to have this, when we negotiate treaties, we're going to do it from a position of strength. None of this sort of, hey, what can we get out of you Iranians? You tell us exactly what you want and, we'll, and show us where to sign on the dotted line. That's not going to happen. Um, what did you think of the and, uh, of the Taiwan phone call? By the way, we talked to Gordon Chang about it yesterday, but I wanted your take. Yeah, you know, I thought it was great, Buck. You know, it, it, first of all, it's just a phone call. It was a phone call. They, um, the leader of, the, of Taiwan and, and President-elect Trump, exclaimed, it just exchanged pleasantries, congratulations. This is a democratic, um, a dem- uh, you know, it's a, it's a democratically elected president of Taiwan. I know if you use the term president, you're sort of acknowledging the sovereign. Um, nation of Taiwan, but I don't think President-elect Trump um, has gone that far. I think that he is simply recognizing that we do have a true partner in the Taiwanese. Um, and, you know, everybody's sort of outcry over this, I think, just shows that 
just how used to we've gotten to letting the Chinese determine how we, how we act. Um, it's merely a phone call. It was nothing more than that, except I think that it does sort of signal that, that, the, that the United States government is going to be a friend of Taiwan, and that's a very good thing. Um, so I just didn't I didn't see the outcry um, as, as really warranted on that point. I thought it was interesting because when some people were were trying to, I, I think, or, or the, the initial search for all of the the parade of of terribles that were would be visited upon us by China if we continued to, I, I don't know, go down this path of recognizing a country that is a separate country. I know there's the one China policy thing, but it is a separate country. It operates as a separate country. And we've been selling right. a whole lot of really advanced military hardware to in recent years, uh, but that China would do all these bad things. And when people started to look at, well, what could China do? I think that was the moment of recognition of, oh, well, China's already doing a bunch of things that are pretty aggressive and bad, and we don't actually do anything in response. You know, China's exactly uh, cyber right. warfare and cyber theft. I mean, yeah, go ahead. Well, you know, just days, days before, you know, everyone, here's the other thing, too. Everyone sort of, you know, I saw this just outcry on Twitter from some Republicans as well, some, some never-Trump Republicans that still sort of haven't gotten through all the stages of grief, I guess, but, um, you know, kind of showing outrage that clearly this should, this was something that the that President-elect Trump didn't even understand what he was doing, that it was floppy and careless, and he must not understand our one China policy. But just days before he made this phone call, or he accepted this phone call, whichever way it went, China actually flew nuclear-capable aircraft around Taiwan, um, which is incredibly provocative, incredibly destabilizing. And so it does seem to me that, that uh, President-elect Trump made this phone call or took this phone call with eyes wide open about what was happening with Taiwan and China. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the United States has essentially been just sort of letting China run the show and, and sort of been being very, very nervous about upsetting China when China's already being aggressive and provocative. I, so, I do think it's also um, interesting that, that what's the, the status quo is that China can use North Korea as sort of like, uh, you know, a, a pit bull that it can rein in or sort of let loose more. And that's that's a leverage that it has against the against the world, really, and against the international community, against us. And yet we're sort of very tiptoey around the issue of Taiwan. Well, why is it that the Chinese can do all this provocative stuff and really keep North Korea, uh, sustain it as as the hermit kingdom? Um, and when we look at Taiwan, we're so, we're sort of stuck in a policy that's that's really not sustainable. I think that's also something that the Trump phone call maybe raised in people's minds. This idea of of a one China, well, it's not one China if we're selling missiles that they're going to use to stop it from being one China to Taiwan. That's exactly right. And and you know we we've talked about this before about what the Chinese have been doing with North Korea. I mean, the Obama administration um, essentially has allowed the North Koreans to become um, a, a really significant nuclear power between their missile tests, their nuclear tests. Um, many folks in the military believe that North Korea does have the ability to actually hit the United States with a nuclear weapon on a missile. Um, and, and that is because China, um, in large part, has been has let the North Koreans do this. They've, they've weakened sanctions every time the United States tries to go to the U.S. Security Council. Um, and, and they've essentially just sort of allowed North Korea to, be, to become this nuclear power and to coerce and um, deter the United States from doing particular things in South Korea and Japan. Um, so it really is uh, hypocritical, inconsistent, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And again, you know, I think what we're going to see out of the Trump administration is that just looking across the globe and trying to actually see what is in the United States' interests, what is right, what is wrong, who are our true friends, who are our adversaries. 
and, and, you know, let's go about this in the best way we can that makes sense for the American people. And we just haven't been doing that for years and years and years. So it, uh, I'm not sure a, what um, the, the there may be a, another sort of example of this that that would spring to mind. But just on the spot here, I have to think to myself, so. Under Obama foreign policy rules, you know, talk to Castro, talk to Maduro, talk to Kim Jong Un, but you can't talk to the president of Taiwan. Is what, what other? Co- I mean, if they're in the OK column and Taiwan is not, who else is in the not OK column? You know, it is so bizarre. If you if you just kind of look and see um, what he has done, he's he's sort of, you know, and, and all of our allies are more uncomfortable after eight years of of the United States being. Um, you know, having uh, Barack Obama in the White House, um, the Iran deal has sort of upset the Middle East and the balance there. The Saudis are nervous. You know, all these people are really uncomfortable and nervous. Um, you have the Russians that are more emboldened and the North Koreans that are more emboldened. Um, and then you have, um, you know, our, our allies who are really nervous and, and um, you know, not in a safer position because of what the United States has been doing. So it really has been backwards. We've sort of been leaning forward and trying to talk to our adversaries and really telling our, our um, friends and allies to just um, sit tight and kind of eat it. So I think let's talk about the uh, the, very, very the coming together of the Trump national security team for a second. A lot of attention and and a lot of criticism and heat directed at General Flynn over the last few days. Uh, what what do you make of this? Yeah, you know, um, General Flynn. You know, and he's sort of going to be. Um, well, sort of at larger, speaking larger to what, the, what President-elect Trump is actually doing with his cabinet. He is picking individuals who have, um, they've been out really pushing the envelope, doing good things, um, some of them controversial things. And so you're going to have some of these characters who, you know, they're unconventional. Uh, General Flynn is one of them. General Flynn, um, but one of the things that made him very unpopular in the Obama administration is how out- outspoken he was about the dangers of militant Islamism and actually how you can actually look at problems within Islam and actually understand the enemy better that way. That was a very unpopular thing to do, obviously very politically incorrect, and it actually cost him his job as the head of the Defense Intelligence Agency. So, um, you know, you're, you're, you're going to have, you know, he, he's an interesting character, um, but he seems to understand the enemy much better than anybody else in the Pentagon or many other people in the Pentagon were um, you know, permitted to understand. And so I think he's a good choice for a national security advisor. Um, but, you know, not what the American people are used to. Are you? Have you seen it's all the stuff about about Pizzagate or whatever, though, and the tweets? I mean, what do you, I don't know if you got this deep yes. into the weeds on this or not, but. No, you know, I followed it a little bit. This was his son. I know that I know that Mike uh, Flynn Jr. was sort of tweeting about this, and now he's no longer advising on the transition team. Um, but I, I didn't follow very closely with uh, Mike Flynn Sr. on that. Yeah, no, we'll, we'll have to see. I mean, it's I, I think Mike Flynn Sr., as I understand it, the, the, the tweet in question that's gotten him in so much trouble has actually been misread by a lot of people. But then Mike Flynn Jr., who is kind of his chief of staff or something, has has done some weird stuff. So I, I just well, wish- he, I know that he was let go. I heard from the briefing from the transition team today that Mike Flynn Jr. has been let go of the transition team. So he's oh, no longer helping. Yeah. Hence, hence my he's done some weird stuff or, or not. Hence my. <laughs> but, you know, that, that that falls right in line with 
when I saw some of the, you know, there's there's the stuff that people are trying to pin on Flynn, and I'm like, no, that you know, Flynn Senior, and I'm like, no, that doesn't see. And then there's what his son did. I was like, ooh, okay, that's not great. Yeah, let's well, talk. Let's go to the happy place though for a second. Tell me about how awesome General Mattis is. <laughs> this is what <laughs> everyone, everyone who's like enthusiastic about the Trump transition wants to talk about Mattis, which I can totally understand. So General Mattis, you know, um, you might remember during during earlier on um, during the primary, I had even thrown out, I had got, you know, suggested that General Mattis was a great pick if Republicans were still unhappy with their current candidates, that General Mattis would be a great one. Um, I think he is an excellent choice for President-elect Trump. He, you know, he led the U.S. Central Command, among other things, as a U.S. Marine. Um, this really just amazing thing about General Mattis is not only is he able to clearly identify the enemy and devise plans to act, to go out and actually vanquish the enemy, something that you know the United States has sort of gotten we need about. Um, but he, you know, he has this. He, he's a reader. He's a reader. Um, he's he's a he's sort of a philosopher type. So he's a deep thinker, um, and he's a he, he's just one of these guys that other people love to follow. Um, and our enemies sort of fear and our allies respect. And so he's all around just an excellent choice to leave the Pentagon. He really is. Rebecca Heinrichs is a fellow at the Hudson Institute. You can follow her on Twitter at RL Heinrichs. Rebecca, great to have you. Thanks for dropping by the hut. Thanks so much. Uh, team, phone lines open 888-900-3393. And I sound kind of like the guy on... Parks and Rec, who's like, and now Barry Marbles, who's filling in for Susan von Philbaum, who is filling in for Morris von Dietzstown, and, you know, he goes through that whole thing, who has gone on sabbatical to study the habits of flying squirrels. Uh, that guy. Is his name Barry Marbles or something like that? I think that's his name. And, and then there's Crazy Ira. And another guy whose name I won't say. These are all from Parks and Rec. If you don't watch that show, occasionally I'll make references to it that will fly over people's heads. But I am Ron Swanson. I'll be right back. Buck Sexton. The Blaze Radio Network. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free, just like we did for these current Web.com customers. We've used and, and looked at other website designers, but there's nobody better than Web.com. Web.com can build your website in as little as seven days free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines like Google, Yahoo, and Bing. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. If you're in business today and you don't have a web presence, you won't be taken seriously. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-490-1099 or go to web.com slash radio. That's 800-490-1099. No upfront charge for site build, after which ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when canceled. Domain included during active service, after which fees apply. Buck Sexton, the Blaze Radio Network. Fascinating piece in the Wall Street Journal, um, My Unhappy Life as a Climate Heretic. 
spend a couple of minutes talking about this one. We all know about climate change hysteria and how they it's really a, a religious belief uh, where the earth is sort of in place of God and it's an excuse for totalitarianism and they take this as, well, you either want to save the planet or you don't. And if that's your barometer, you can do anything, right? This piece written by Roger uh, Pilkey, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his last name right, but whatevs, uh, it starts out this way. Much to my surprise, I showed up in the WikiLeaks releases before the election in a 2014 email a staffer at the Center for American Progress, founded by John Podesta in 2003, took credit for a campaign to have me eliminated as a writer for Nate Silver's 538 website. Uh, in the email, the editor of the think tank's climate blog bragged to one of its billionaire donors, Tom Steyer, I think it's fair to say that without climate progress, Pilkey would still be writing on climate change for 538. A couple of things here. First of all, this is just a window into the mind of the left. Um, they don't seek to win the argument. They seek to destroy people, and it's a disgrace. And I look forward to the day when I have the kind of, uh, honestly, the kind of impervious or relatively impervious platform and – if I'm going to be totally frank with you, the sort of you know financial stability where I can just let it rip. Um, not there yet. You all give me the platform, but the financial stability is yet to come. And uh, you know I'm not yet in a I'm not yet in a place where if I was sort of under assault and these different leftist media blogs tried to get me fired or tried to silence me, I could easily weather the storm. Right? You need to sort of be at a certain level um, where you can fight back, and also you know that you're going to be able to pay the mortgage. Not that I own a house, but you know what I mean. Pay the mortgage for the foreseeable future. Um, but that's how the left does business, especially on climate change things. They're not just trying to win the argument. They're trying to destroy people. Um, but this guy, and why this is so fascinating is that he is a climate change believer. He thinks that, that climate change is an urgent threat. He thinks that it's man-made. He, he's, he's on board with all that stuff. So you got to think, okay, well, how is this going to be an interesting, you know, another story, another sort of self-congratulatory story about a, an academic or a journalist writing about how the, the perils of climate change threaten us all. And he's sort of standing athwart this literal flood that is coming and it's going to kill us all. Uh, but he made a little boo-boo. He couldn't go along with the obvious lie that anybody of a certain basic intelligence quotient should be able to figure out and, and, and should discard that there's a big storm. Oh, gosh, it was caused by climate change. And not only is that bizarre because big storms have been around for as long as we've had weather systems. But in fact, when you look at the data, storms are not getting and this is people like Tom Friedman and other just bloated, self-loving, pompous, uh, bass backwards. Ugh. intellectually vapid journalists out there will say stuff like, you know, um, the hots are getting hotter, the wets are getting wetter. I mean, this is idiocy. This is idiocy masquerading as sophistication. And this guy, here's what he says. He says, yes, storms and other extremes still occur with devastating human consequences, but history shows they could be far worse. No Category 3, 4, or 5 hurricane has made landfall in the U.S. since Hurricane Wilma in 2005, by far the long, longest such period on record. Uh, that means the cumulative economic damage from hurricanes over the past decade is some $70 billion less than the long-term average would lead us to expect based on my research with colleagues. This is good news, and it should be okay to say so. 
Yet in today's hyper-partisan climate debate, every instance of extreme weather becomes a political talking point. All this guy did was look at the very obvious data, which shows you that storms are that major storms and major storm systems are not more frequent in this country than before, are not more damaging than before. And this is just verifiable fact. These are these are just facts. They they do not care about the hysteria. They're just they are there, and he just pointed this out. And for this, he had to be eliminated. I mean, you know, his voice had to be eliminated. I should say. Uh, they decided that it was too much, and they got him. They insisted on getting him fired from five thirty eight. Uh, he also pointed out. Based on the consensus of the International Panel, uh, Governmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC, and peer, peer-reviewed research, that the global cost of disasters was increasing at a rate slower than GDP growth, which is very good news, essentially saying that disasters are getting less disastrous for the world, natural disasters. And he's pointing that. But you see, the left knows that it's very useful after a storm when people have lost houses and everything to say, see, climate change. If you don't want to do something about it, you don't care about these people who lost their homes to a hurricane. You don't care about people that drowned in a tsunami. Climate change, it's just about emotionalizing the issue and the facts be damned. And all he did was point that out. He didn't say that climate change is – he says climate change is real. Climate change, And I disagree with him on all this stuff. Climate change is going to really destroy the planet. It is man-made and all that. He's on board. He's on board for 90% of the climate change hysteria, but that last 10% about the storms and his research on that made him completely persona non grata. In fact, worse than that, made him a target for intellectual elimination. This is how these people play the game. I mean, they are the friggin' worst. Um, And climate change is a place where you see a lot of this happening. All right, team, much more coming back in a few. The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Buck Sexton. Um... I thought we had the guest. Do we don't have the guest now? That's weird. I was about to introduce our next guest, but then we dropped our next guest uh, accidentally. So that's um, let's talk about something else in the meantime. Let's find another segment on the fly, Buck Sexton. Let's see what kind of radio ninja moves you've got. Um, obviously, a ton of them. Uh, so that's we could always discuss uh, action movie quotes. Just kidding. I think we've got we got him now. All right, here he is. Steve Moore is a Heritage Foundation Distinguished Fellow, an economist, and a Trump economic advisor. Steve, appreciate you coming back. Thanks for joining. Boy, it's great to be with you. Thanks so much. Uh, let's first talk about your piece in the Washington Times about the blue state depression. As we discuss Trump policies, I think people should also keep in mind, well, what have blue state, what have Democrat policies given us in recent years <laughs> up to this point? And a state-by-state comparison, as you talk about in your piece, shows that there's a pretty stark contrast between the economic fate of red and blue. 
Yeah, if you want to see how you know tax reduction and balanced budgets and less regulation can work to create jobs, look at the difference between what's happening in, in the red states, uh, you know, like Florida and Texas and Tennessee that have no income tax versus the blue states that have very high income taxes and very heavy regulation and uh, forced union rules, uh, states like California and New York and Massachusetts and Rhode Island and those states. And, we, you know, we found a massive difference. So uh, just one rule of thumb is that for every job that's being created in the blue states in America, about two jobs are being created in the red states. So that's where all the job growth employment is. Uh, we also found that of the 10 states that Hillary Clinton um, carried by the biggest percentage, you know, again, states like California and states like New York and states like Massachusetts, those states, um, every one of those states over the last 10 years lost domestic migration to the to uh, other states. So people are leaving. They're voting with their feet against liberal policies. So they have an outflow of people who realize that high taxation is no fun, exactly. that low or no job growth is, is a bad idea. And yet somehow it seems like, Steve, this doesn't filter into the national conversation about how to run a country, right? We, we can look at the states as, as laboratories of, well, a whole yep. bunch of different things. But as economic yep. experiments, I mean, California should be paradise. And clearly because the way it's run, people don't care. It's, it's, it's not paradise for them. Uh, do you think that the Trump campaign is going to be able to, or not the Trump campaign, the Trump presidency will be able to make some headway using, you know, using these examples? I hope so. And by the way, you know, you, you said uh, California is paradise. It is paradise when it comes to the weather, the natural beauty of the state, the incredible natural resources. Uh, but what isn't paradise is their public policies that, that have, uh, you know, environmental extremism, um, forced union policies, very high tax on the rich, very high welfare benefits. So what you've gotten in uh, California is, uh, oh, this is unbelievable. Over the last 10 years, a million more people have left California than have come into California from other states. I mean, that's just incredible. How do you screw up California? It's because they have the highest taxes and regulations in the, in the land. So you would you would think that this would be a lesson that you know we could create more jobs as a nation if we make America look make more look more like Texas and more like Florida and less like California and New York. By the way, Texas and Florida have both gained a million people over the last ten years, so they must be doing something right. Yeah, it would seem that the the proof is in the pudding here, and, and the numbers don't lie. And yet, uh, d- Democrats are are really upset about even proposed Trump policies going forward when it comes to the economy. But the, the one place where it seems that there's dissension among, well, w- within the Trump camp and, and within Trump supporters in the Republican Party right now has to do with trade. I know we've talked this a bit before, but the carrier, the carrier deal um, that's gotten a lot of attention is this uh, sort of a taste of things to uh, taste of things to come down down the road or is this sort of a one off? How do you view it? That's a good question. I think uh, I think that uh, Donald Trump was sort of um, setting an example and uh, basically sending a message to Americans and especially the people in industrial Midwestern states that have seen a decline in their uh, manufacturing base that he's very serious about trying to bring back their jobs and save their jobs and make sure that uh, these become prosperous places again. So I, I really applaud what he did there, where he said to this company, look, you're thinking about moving a thousand jobs out of Indiana, moving them to Mexico City. He said, don't do that now. He said, we're going to be cutting your taxes. We're going to get re- regulations off your back. We're going to make Indiana and in America a more competitive place to do business. And uh, the state of Indiana threw a few incentive, tax incentives in, and lo and behold, uh, a thousand jobs have been saved. And I, I don't want to see that done 
all the time because the president can't save this economy one one company at a time. But I think it just set uh, set a tone that he is very serious about about uh, bringing jobs back. And on the issue of the thirty five percent tariff on on imports from country from companies that. Uh, outsource factories, outsource jobs that leave the United States for a, a whole a whole host of reasons. Uh, you, you see that really happening? I mean, is that is that what this is, is that what he's heading for? Or is that sort of a, a beginning point for negotiations? Uh, you know, I think he's using a club there. I mean, I, I'm against tariffs personally. I think tariffs are a terrible idea. Tariffs are just taxes on American consumers, so it just makes the things we buy more expensive. Um, what I'd like to do is see this all done through the tax system. You know, we have the dumbest tax system in the world. We 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 tax what we produce here with American workers, but we don't tax what's brought in and is, is uh, produced by Japanese workers or Korean workers or Mexican workers. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. Let's at least have a level playing field between what we produce and what we import. And so what I would do, and, I, and Donald Trump's talking about possibly doing this, is change from a system where we tax where we produce at home to a system where we tax where things are actually consumed here in the United States. So when that, you know, automobile comes in from, you know, Korea, it, it, there's going to be a tax imposed on it, just as they, they impose a tax when we bring in things to those countries. Now, you're quoted in this NPR article here saying Donald Trump's victory has changed the Republican Party into a more populist working class party in some ways that conservatives like myself will like and some that we will be uncomfortable with. Let's let's yep. break this statement down, uh, if you don't mind, Steve. What are some of the ways that a more populist working class party will go over well with conservatives? And then we can go with the uh, not so well. But how, how will it go over well or what will go over well? Well, I think it's what, what Trump has done is created a national consensus or at least, you know, voter voting um, consensus that we have to cut our taxes and cut our regulations and get government out of the way. Drain the swamp, which was the closing argument that uh, Donald Trump made to the American people, uh, was about taking power away from Washington and giving it back to the people. Now, if you're a conservative, you, you have to love that message. You know, you have to love the idea of, you know, instead of having the U.S. Department of Education spend $20 billion accomplishing nothing, we take that $20 billion, give it to the states, and let the states give it to the parents so they can choose good schools. I mean, it's all about decentralizing, about um, drain the swamp means, you know, less power to the politicians and the lobbyists and the, and the rule makers and more uh, power to the people. I think it's a very conservative message. Now, what are the ways that uh, we can, I mean, I assume we've seen some of them already, right? There's the That's, criticism of picking winners and losers in the market. There's the tariffs. Uh, what, what else should, should, should true free market conservatives be uh, prepared for, at least in theory, with the Trump administration on the economy? Well, you know, I worked with Donald Trump for the last three months of this campaign and really, you know, had an amazing time doing it. And, and I, I think the man has incredible political and policy instincts that are generally conservative. Not always, but for the most part, very conservative. Um, I think that there are some areas where I disagree with them. I disagree with them on trade. I think we should be a free trade nation, although some of the trade deals with China and so on need to be renegotiated because they don't play by the rules. Um, and on immigration, I tend to be more pro-immigration um, um, and, I, and I think uh, I hope that, as I told Donald Trump, if you're going to build that wall, I hope it has big gates. And, and he said it would. Uh, and then also in the infrastructure spending, you know, I, you know, all this talk about federal infrastructure spending. You know, we don't have to spend a trillion dollars on new infrastructure. I mean, most of that should be done by the private sector and should be done by the states. And uh, I worry that, you know, we're going to we're going to waste a lot of money if we do that. So. Uh, and uh, by the way, the, if we spend it, there's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it. And I hope he spends it on policy. 
pro- uh, projects that really add to growth, not wasteful things like mass transit projects to nowhere. I was about to ask you about infrastructure. <laughs> That's a, yeah. probably a good transition point. Trump, people have talked about a trillion-dollar Trump infrastructure plan. Uh, do you have any insight, or, or can you e- even give us some informed guesses as to, well, one, is that really a thing that's going to happen, and two, what does that look like? Because people that were talking about infrastructure under Obama a few years ago and how great it would be, including, you know, Obama was talking about how great it would be himself, they seem all opposed to this idea now. So other than Trump being president, has anything changed? I'm still waiting for all those shovel-ready projects. Remember, <laughs> we're supposed to get uh, what, eight to ten years ago uh, that never really showed up. Um, and uh, you know, so I think um, Obama proved that you can waste a lot of money on infrastructure and get nothing in return because we still have potholes in my streets, and I don't know about yours. And so I, I live um, in New York City. It, it is a pothole, but go ahead. <laughs> exactly. So uh, we wasted eight hundred billion dollars and almost got nothing. We we've got to make sure that uh, that uh, Donald Trump doesn't repeat those mistakes. We have to be very thoughtful about what projects are being funded. We have to be very uh, uh, cognizant of who's, who's funding them. I, I believe more, much more of this can be about the private sector. If you, if we, the big infrastructure problem in the United States is, is capital investment by private businesses in their factories, in their plants, and uh, in all of the projects that need to be built so that we have a vibrant private sector. Um, so I, I'd like to see, you know, private infrastructure spending, not public infrastructure spending. And then finally, you know, we'd, I'll give you another example. We need pipelines in this country. We need a national network of pipelines so we can get the energy we produce, and we're going to produce a lot more of it, to the markets where it's necessary. Well, you need you need a national network of pipelines to do that. They've been held up by Obama. Now, that's not going to cost a penny of taxpayer money to build uh, tens of billions of dollars of new pipelines in this country. I think the politics of the pipelines have been uh, very well highlighted with the last 11. I, I just learned this in the last 24 hours. It's only the last 1,100 feet of the Dakota Access Pipeline that is uh, being prevented now that the Army Corps of Engineers has been told to stand down on because of the Obama administration. There's no way that pipeline's not going to get finished. And the notion that they need to, quote, consider alternative routes when you're at 1,170 uh, 1, miles and you've got 1,100 feet to go, there's no alternative route. There's just finishing the route. Well, I think you're exactly right. And by the way, this has nothing to do with you know, polluting the water and things like that. That's ginned up by the Sierra Club and Earth First and the radical environmentalists. What this is really about, their agenda to stop the pipeline is not to keep the water clean. They don't want America to produce American energy. They don't want coal. They don't want oil. They don't want gas. They they really think we can power, you know, $18 trillion industrial economy with windmills. It's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. So people should not fall. Look, of course, if we build infrastructure, you have to do it in ways that provide, you know, protects our clean air, including water. But we can do that. We can build a nation. And by the way, pipelines are the most environmentally safe way to transport oil and gas. It's much better than uh, rail cars that can turn over and cause huge fires or trucks that derail and so on. So, uh, you know, pipelines are good for the environment and good for the economy. Steve, are we, are we? I mean, I'm going to ask you, so I guess I shouldn't ask if we're allowed to ask you, but you're, of course, allowed to not answer, as you know. Are you maybe going to be involved officially in the administration in some capacity? Do we have any sense of that yet? You know, I don't know. I spent. I would love to help Donald Trump pass the tax bill that uh, Larry Kudlow and I helped write. Um, I think it's such an urgent priority. So if Donald Trump asked me to do that, I would, you know, you can't say no to the president. Um, we will see. Uh, you know, so uh, ask me that next month when I do your show, and I'll, I'll let you know. Fantastic. <laughs> All right. We'll have you back as always, Steve. 
Really appreciate you joining. Steve Moore, he's at the Heritage Foundation where he's a distinguished fellow. He's an economist and a Trump economic advisor. Appreciate you joining, sir. Good to have you. Thank you so much. Uh, Team, we're going to hit a break, and we're right back. This is the Buck Sexton Show. The Blaze Radio Network. This is the Buck Sexton Show. I've been talking to you a lot, team, about the uh, <laughs> the freak out that's been happening after the Trump victory with many leftists, and you know they're they're scared, they're freaked out, they want to cry, they got all these problems going on, and yet this one I got to say is is too much. Uh, it's from it's on the published on the WashingtonPost.com, and look, I think this was under the. What section is this even under? I don't know. But it was published in the Washington Post. I thought it might be a parody at first, but it's not. Trump's election stole my desire to look for a partner. Uh, And first of all, she starts off with, In August, I went on six dates in one week. I had decided that I was ready to look for a partner. I got to tell you, six dates, that's that's just a lot of dates. I mean, it's a lot of new people to, uh, to meet over the course of one week. I mean, I think two or three dates is... You know, it's plenty, uh, but that's you know to each to each his or her own. Um, and then she goes into these two men, and uh, everything was sort of, um, you know, it was the usual kind of dating story. But then she has to tell her daughter that Trump won the election, and she's so upset and so terrified that she no longer wants to have a boyfriend. Now, how those things are connected, or you can sort of go from one to the other, I don't know. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to how to explain that. Why the victory the uh, victory of a presidential candidate would make somebody no longer seek meaningful romantic companionship is that's beyond my powers of explanation. Uh, but I I do think it ties into this broader theme of wow the uh, the Democrat not all of them obviously but a lot of Democrats have just taken this whole thing way too far and are so freaked out about it uh this is yet another instance of it um my focus had to be on my community of friends that are are my family i need i need to fiercely love the people close to me instead of learning to love someone new uh to reach out to others could weaken the bonds that hold my family together i can't i just told him i can't um why not it's okay you can date just because trump won doesn't and you're a democrat doesn't mean you can't date i would think that dating would be a good idea. Maybe get your mind off the election, you know? Maybe mellow out a little bit. Go out, have some fun. Go see that new movie with somebody in it that you like. I don't even know what the movies that are out right now. I don't know. Maybe, you know, have have a couple margaritas and forget all about the election. Team, pleasure to have you with me as always. Until tomorrow, she'll tie. The Buck Sexton Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. 